Uh, let me add my welcome uh, to that given before. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name's Mal York, and it's really wonderful to be here, and it's wonderful to start with you, a new series on the book of 2 Timothy. For me, 2 Timothy is a, a really important book uh, and appropriate as I start my ministry here at St. Andrews. Uh, the reason being is that 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, uh, who was also in ministry in Ephesus. Uh, this le- letter was written to him uh, so that Timothy would build his ministry on the right foundations. Uh, it's appropriate as I start uh, to look at, at this letter, as I start my ministry here at St. Andrews, to make sure that I'm reminded of the right foundations that Paul teaches Timothy should be building upon. But in addition, as we minister together, uh, so you know these foundations as well, so that we're on the same page when it comes to the ministry that we want to conduct here at St. Andrews. Uh, with this in mind, I've called the, uh, the series Foundations of Gospel Ministry. But let me also say what I'm not doing. I'm not saying that this church has had the wrong foundations in the past. Quite the contrary. It seems to me that St. Andrews has had the right foundations for gospel ministry in the past. So for many people, uh, this sermon series will simply be a reminder of what you already know. Uh, There may be some who may not know this, so it's good for you to look as well. But for others, a reminder of how the ministry has been going in the past and that we will continue on in the future. But I do want to say quite clearly that the principles that we find in this book over the next seven weeks will will be the principles that I will base my ministry upon as uh, I approach at St. Andrews. So nothing hidden. Just read uh, through uh, this book and we will find out uh, the sort of ministry that I want to conduct here at St. Andrews. Uh, And so through the series, there will be one application that I'll give. There'll be more applications, but one main application. And that application is... Join with me in this vital gospel ministry. Join with me in partnership in this vital gospel ministry. For some, this will be easy. As I said, you've already been doing it for many years. Uh, But for others, you may have found that over the years, you've become distracted from this, distracted by the things around, distracted by your jobs, distracted by your families, distracted by simply all the things that this world has to offer. And so today, I want to challenge you afresh to listen to these words, to either learn, to be refreshed, to be reminded, or simply tweaked to make sure that we as a church have the right foundations to go ahead together in gospel ministry. But this won't happen unless God reveals to us through his word what it means to have these right foundations. So let me pray as we open the passage that God will speak to us by his spirit. Let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can come and look at your word today. Thank you that it teaches us about these foundations of gospel ministry. Uh, And as Paul taught Timothy, we pray that you will speak to us through your spirit and help us to understand so that we too can build on the right foundations here at St. Andrew for your praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first foundation of gospel ministry found in 2 Timothy is prayer. We see this after Paul gives us a short introduction as to who he is. So uh, start out with me, have a look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 again. Uh, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you, in my prayers. 
Well, first, we're introduced to the writer of the letter, Paul. And we see that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle is someone who has been sent by the risen Lord Jesus. They're the source of authority on his resurrection. And although Paul was not part of the original 12 disciples or 12 apostles, he can nevertheless claim apostolic status. You see, in Acts 9, we read of the account of how Jesus appeared in risen form to Paul and how Paul, uh, how Paul through this experience changed from being one who would go about killing Christians to being one who would proclaim the name of the risen Lord Jesus, one who would go on to write most of the New Testament letters. It was at this time that Jesus sent Paul on this mission to be his witness. And so Paul starts out the letter by identifying this apostolic status. In other words, Timothy, you need to listen to what is being said. He goes on to say that he's an apostle only by the will of God. His apostleship is not man-made, but it was God's will that he would be someone who would see the risen Lord Jesus and then be sent from there to testify about him. It's likely, again, this allusion to the, the, the Damascus Road um, uh, in Acts uh, chapter 9, highlighting that other apostles didn't make him an apostle, but it was still the Lord Jesus Christ himself who is sending Paul. Again, this is important. Uh, it's highlighting that Paul is a genuine apostle. He's not one that's been appointed by man, but appointed by, appointed by God's will himself, by God himself. And so it comes with that full authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, we see that Paul is an apostle according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. This is the content of Paul's message. Paul is on about preaching the promise of life that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has no other message, nothing more that he wants to say, except for people to know that there is a promise of life and it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this short introduction, not only do we see the authority of Paul writing the letter, but we see the content of what he's going to say, the, the motivation behind him writing the letter. That is, Paul is an apostle by God's will who proclaims the risen Lord Jesus and the life that comes in his name. It's an important way of starting the letter, isn't it? It reminds us of what is going to be the content of the rest of the letter. Uh, the substance of what the rest of the letter is about. And so therefore, as we come to gospel ministry, what our ministry should be about as well. Now, this, of course, leads Paul on to prayer, which we'll see in verse 3. It should lead us to prayer as well. But it's important to see from the very beginning, this is what Paul stands for, and this is what he tells Timothy he should be standing for as well. And so, as we hear what Timothy should be standing for and teaching the church, what he should be standing for, it comes back to us that we as a church must be standing for this as well. You see, there are some churches out there that are more about being social and having social clubs than promoting the life that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can tell because they, they water down the gospel to increase membership. They're all about getting people to come to church as opposed to the substance of promising that eternal life that comes with the Lord Jesus. They have loads of activities, but they don't include a message about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there are some churches that are more concerned with the human experience now, more than promoting uh, the, the life that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can tell because they're all about empowering you, empowering the individual, uh, they speak about our own ability to overcome the sin of this world. 
But friends, if we are a church that has gospel foundations, which I believe St. Andrew's is, then all our activities that we continue to run will be according to the promise of life that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. All our ministries will have the opportunity for people to hear this message so that they can know the promise of life that comes in Jesus, so that they can have the same hope that Paul has. And in fact, we should be disappointed if they leave our ministries not knowing this. But we'll think more about this in a minute. Paul goes on in verse 2 to say that this letter is written to Timothy, who he calls his dear son. Now, back previously in uh, 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul refers uh, to Timothy as his true son in the faith. It's an allusion to the role that Paul has in the spiritual growth of Timothy. However, it doesn't mean that this letter is specifically for Timothy only. In fact, throughout the book, we see that Paul calls Timothy to teach the church what Paul is teaching him. Uh, later on in 2 Timothy, we see that Paul urges Timothy to keep, uh, keep what Paul teaches as a pattern of sound teaching. That is, the way that Timothy teaches the church should be in line with what Paul is teaching him. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, he calls Timothy to entrust to others what Paul has taught him. Timothy wants, Paul wants Timothy to pass on what he is being taught by Paul. In chapter 2, verse 14, he commands Timothy, keep reminding God's people of the things that he is teaching. You see, the words of this book, although written to Timothy, they're not just for Timothy, are they? But they're for everyone in the church. And so with this in mind, Paul concludes his introduction by saying, and, and really starting off his letter, by saying, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts out with these wonderful words of affection for Timothy, doesn't he? Showing their close bond that they have in ministry. But at the same time, reminds us of these wonderful attributes of God. His grace, his mercy, and his peace. Themes that Paul will pick up on throughout the letter. And this affection is shown again in verse 3, as Paul thanks God constantly for Timothy, as he prays for Timothy. Notice how he can say this with a clear conscience. He is constantly praying for Timothy. He is really doing it and the ministry that he has. Paul is not lying here. He's committed to Timothy and he's committed to Timothy in prayer. And notice how he prays with tears and with the expectation of being, uh, having, uh, with the expectation of being filled with joy. Paul prays for Timothy in the context of the relationship that he has with Timothy. You see, Paul's, Timothy, Paul's prayer for Timothy comes out of that knowledge of God and a deep relationship for one another. Friends, look around the church. Think about the relationships that you have with one another. It begs the question, how is our prayer life for each other? Are we motivated to prayer because of all that God has done for us? Are we praying for each, outer, uh, for each other out of the love and affection that we have for each other? Are we praying for the ministries of the church in this way? You see, one of the key foundations to gospel ministry must be prayer. Prayer shows our reliance upon God rather than reliance upon ourselves. In contrast, by not praying to God, we're saying that we don't want to speak with him. We're saying we can do things on our own strength. But friends, if you're like me and you read these verses, you know that our prayer life could be better. 
Friends, let me urge you that a foundation for gospel ministry must be prayer. And not just prayers for prayer's sake, but rather coming, knowing who, the, who, who our great God is, knowing that he delights in our prayer and praying in this relational way for one another, praying for each other at church in, in, in how we're doing and how we're going as Christians, praying for each other in the ministries that we're involved in at church. Friends, the first thing I want you to see out of this passage is that a foundation for gospel ministry must be prayer. But the second foundation of gospel ministry found in 2 Timothy is proclamation. Have a look with me at verses 5 to the first half of verse 8. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. So here Paul starts out by reminding Timothy of his sincere faith. Timothy has a faith, according to Paul, that is not fake. We live in a world that is full of people who want to be fake. People who want to have plastic surgeries to make their aging bodies look young. People who might present in one way, but actually behind closed doors are living another way. And this can be an issue for people in the church. Are we living as genuine Christians? Do we have a sincere faith that Paul is talking about for Timothy? Well, how do we know? Well, according to the words of Jesus found in John chapter 15, verse 5, we read that it's by their fruit that they are known. What fruit is Jesus talking about? Well, we can go to somewhere like Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, which talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, these are, are signs of someone with a sincere faith, which according to Paul, this is what Timothy has. But not only Timothy, Timothy has this uh, family legacy uh, who all have a sincere faith. Uh, Timothy's grandmother and mother. How wonderful is it to see the gospel being passed on from generation to generation. It's my hope that my kids have this sincere faith, that we pass it on to them. Is this your hope for your children? A lot of people in the world today have the hope for their children that they'll excel in their HSC, that they'll excel in, in life, that they'll get great jobs and they'll be able to do all these sorts of things in the world. My hope is that my kids display the fruit of the Spirit, that they can have a sincere faith just like Timothy does. But Paul goes on to say that someone with a sincere faith like Timothy shouldn't remain dormant, but rather... They are to fan into flame the gift that God has given them. Timothy is to take this gift of God that, that has been given to him and use it for God's glory. Uh, could you imagine if I had a gift? Uh, and this gift was something like finding a cure for cancer, but then I kept it to myself. It would be unthinkable, wouldn't it? But Paul is saying to Timothy, you have a gift that can see people move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you shouldn't keep it for yourself. Don't keep it locked up in a, in a room. But you see, Timothy's gift is the proclamation of the word of God. We know this because in verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. 
Uh, Timothy is great at testifying about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul doesn't want him to stop, nor to be ashamed in it, ashamed of it, but to fan into flame this gift of his. Have you ever seen what happens when wind catches uh, a flame in dry wood? Uh, we see it every summer, don't we? And already fire season has started up north. Uh, it's amazing to think that this inferno starts from this spark, a small flame that becomes fanned by the wind, fueled by the wood, and grows into this almighty inferno. And Paul is saying to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that you have of proclaiming about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of Jesus because as you do and as you proclaim this ministry and this message of Jesus will go out and will spread and will grow and become like a big inferno. And Paul reminds him that it's not your work that's doing this, but it's the power of God at work in you. Have a look there at verse 7. It says, For the Spirit of God does not, uh, does not make us timid, but gives us, a power, uh, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. You see, friends, God has not given Timothy a spirit that should make him hide in his home, uh, but a spirit that has got power and love and self-discipline. And you know what, friends? That same spirit lives in you and me. The same spirit is at work amongst you and I and all the saints of St. Andrews. And God has not given us this spirit so that we can shy away, so that we can lock it up or keep it all to ourselves. But he's given us his spirit so that we too can proclaim the gospel, whether that be in what we say or simply the way that we live. Anything from talking with our friends about the Lord Jesus Christ to making sure that at work we act in a godly way so that people notice us and give praise to our Father in heaven. Or maybe even we might get that wonderful opportunity to tell someone why we believe and challenge them would they believe too. You see, the spirit that God has given us is one of power, power like the power of the gospel to transform lives, a spirit of love, love for those who don't know Jesus so that they too can have this hope of eternal life and self-discipline to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to the very end so that together we as a church can see the name of Jesus glorified. Friends, this is the second foundation of, uh, that we see in the passage of gospel ministry. A powerful, loving, self-disciplined gospel proclamation, whether in word or whether in deed. But this must be the foundation and our main game as a church. And so we must reflect and ask ourselves, how are we doing in proclaiming the name of Jesus? How are the ministries of this church proclaiming the names of Jesus? Because, friends, at the end of the day, nobody else is going to do it. Not the Karingai Council, they're not going to suddenly come up with an evangelistic plan to reach out. Not the local public schools. We're not going to suddenly read in Woman's Weekly or Clio magazine the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ going out. Nor will we find this in the local bowling clubs or the leagues clubs or the sports organisations and so on. But this is the job that's been entrusted to God's church and its leaders. From Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to, to me, from me to you. And so, as it has been in the past here at St. Andrews, I hope and pray that this will continue to be a characteristic of this church under my ministry, that the gospel will be proclaimed to all who come here, that the gospel will become known by those who come and partake in the ministries that we run, 
and that you and I will be driven. We will be driven by a spirit, not of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline that comes from God himself. Well, friends, the final foundation of gospel ministry is found in uh, 2 Timothy. Uh, In this passage is suffering for the gospel. Have a look with me at the second half of verse 8 to verse 12. Paul says, Rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. Those wonderful words. Who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Well, finally, Paul calls Timothy to join with him, to join with him in suffering for the gospel. You see, faithful gospel proclamation will bring about suffering. In fact, just living the godly life will bring about suffering. Paul says this later on in 2 Timothy. But Paul says to Timothy, don't be afraid of this. Instead, join with him as he suffers for the gospel because suffering is good for a Christian. Hang on. Paul just say that, that suffering's good for a Christian? What does he mean by that? Uh, well, the facts of history show that the, the Christian church grew the most in the past when it faced suffering. Uh, the gospel today is having the most effect in places where you suffer for the gospel, places like Africa and China. But it's not just the facts of history. We see in places like 1 Peter 4, 13, Peter says, rejoice in your suffering because this is what your Lord went through. Or James chapter 1 verse 2 says, consider it pure joy when you face trials. You see, suffering from James' point of view, it's not a bad thing for the Christian. Because notice by what power Paul calls Timothy to suffer alongside him with. It's the power of God. The the power of God that has saved us and called us to this holy life. And it's as we live this holy or set-apart life, that we see the power of God working through us, the gospel working through us, this same gospel that has destroyed death and brought immortality to life. And it's this gospel that as we live it out, Paul suffers for. And this is the gospel that he calls Timothy to suffer for. And through this, us as well. Because you see, the world doesn't want to hear this good news. The world doesn't want to hear that the true king has come because it wants to live its own way. And so people say, where is this coming Jesus? He's not here. People say, why waste your time following him? Uh, He's not going to bring you any good in this life. People say, what a joke, a crucified king, as if God would send his son to do this. But not Paul. Paul doesn't say this, does he? He says he's not ashamed of this gospel. Why? What does it say again in verse 12? Yet this is no cause for shame. Why? Because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Because Paul knows in who he has believed. He has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ who has risen again from the dead. And he's convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ who's risen from the dead, only he is able to guard for Paul what's, what he's entrusted to him. What has he entrusted to him? 
his very life, his eternal life. He knows that Jesus is the only one that can help him to get to eternity. And Paul knows that there is this eternal glory coming and it's much better than anything that this life can offer. Much better than the houses that we can live in. Much better than the TVs that we can own, the cars that we can drive, the way that that we look. We could go on and on all the things that this world has to offer. And Paul says they are nothing compared to what the Lord Jesus Christ can do for us. They are nothing. Eternity is so much better. And so focus on this. Despite the responses that you get from the world around us, despite their rejection and despite their persecution, We've seen this during the week, haven't we? When Archbishop Glenn Davies was focusing in in Synod and giving his uh, presidential address last Monday night, and he called for people who want to change the doctrine of the Anglican Church to leave it. Now, friends, hear me clearly. He was not asking same-sex attracted people or members of the uh, uh, LGBTQI community to leave church as reported in the newspapers during the week. No, he was not saying that. He knows that the church should be a place where all people are welcome. He actually said this in other parts of his speech. But but this group of journalists decided not to quote that and to misquote him. Bishop Davies was talking about the other bishops who were leading people astray. But you see, Bishop Davies did this because he's focusing on something that is to come. Glenn is wanting to see people one for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the message of the gospel is changed, as some bishops are trying to do, then the message of salvation is also changed at the same time. And Glenn knows when that happens, then people stop going to heaven. And as a result of it, he is suffering for the gospel as people malign his name. Friends, do we suffer for the gospel in the same way? Do we know in whom we have believed? Are we convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ is able to guard what we have entrusted to him, our very lives, until that final day? Friends, is our hope in the world to come so much and the reward that the Lord Jesus Christ brings that no matter what people do or say about you and I, no matter who they are in this world, that we will not listen to them but we will continue to live for the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Friends, it is my hope here at St. Andrews that we live lives that are so focused on the Lord Jesus Christ that people will suffer as a result of this for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't think this this would be suffering like beatings or being put into jail. I, I certainly don't hope that for anyone, but rather a suffering that helps us to rely less on this world around us and focus us more on the eternity that is to come. And so that we live lives that are focused on Jesus so much so and the hope to come so much that people in the community around us will notice and it will affect the way that they act towards us. And why this might bring suffering, my hope and prayer is that on the flip side, through our faithfulness, many more will also hear the gospel, repent and believe so that we see the church grow full of new believers and people who have been one for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, friends, let me briefly conclude. Paul finishes this section with verses 13 to 14. And this is what he says. What you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. 
Friends, Paul ends by saying, he concludes by saying, keep this pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard that good deposit that was entrusted to you. And so friends, this is my charge, to keep this pattern of teaching in my ministry here at St. Andrews with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and to guard this good deposit of the gospel. But it's not just mine, is it? Uh, We as a church have all been given this good deposit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We as a church have all been given this message of reconciliation. This precious, precious message that we are to know, we are to live by, we are to speak of and to live out. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, I ask you, will you join with me? And for many, will you continue in the good work that this church has been doing so well in the past to keep this as a pattern of sound teaching and to guard it with our very lives and to stand firm on it so as to entrust it to the next generation and to see this church remain a faithful gospel outpost for many more years to come. Well, let's hope and pray until Christ returns. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful reminder of what it means to build uh, this ministry of this church on the right gospel foundations. Help us to be a church focused on prayer, on proclamation of the, the wonderful gospel and suffering rightly for the Lord Jesus. Help us to keep focused on the eternity that is to come and the gospel that brings salvation in his name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's time for a couple of questions, and there's some on the phone. The first question is, should Christians aim to display all of the fruits of the Spirit, or is it different fruit for different people? (laughs) If for all, then why do some people say things like, it's my nature to be impatient, or it's my nature to be grumpy? (laughs) Maybe they've been listening to my household (laughs) um, and use that as an excuse. Maybe it is your nature to be that, and that's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ, to help us change our nature. (laughs) Um, I think the fruits of the Spirit are something that we should try and display all aspects of. Uh, I'm not saying I've got them all right perfectly, uh, but they're something that uh, uh, we're given in Galatians as this is uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and I think as the Spirit works in your life, and I've seen it over years, I think when when I was younger, I displayed them less, God willing, I'm displaying them more. I've met some really elderly people and you go, you just embody the fruits of the Spirit. I think it's a progression over time. Sometimes we're better at others, but we should be aiming for them all. Um, This one says, Mal, you said um, no matter what they say, I think they're talking about the rejection of the world, Um, don't listen to them. But, But as the world rejects us, do you think that there's merit in listening to their objections so that we can better understand and share the gospel well in love. Oh, definitely. And you want to be engaging with the world. Absolutely. Uh, 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 we, we need to be humble as Christians. We need to be, uh, uh, the passage says, you know, pulling the, the uh, plank out of our own eye before we take the, the stick out of someone else's eye. Yeah, we need to be listening and engaging, but not influenced by. And I think that's, that's the difference that I was trying to say, not influenced by them, but definitely listening and engaging with love. I mean, the, the, that's the part of the, the Spirit's work is to love people. And so you love people by listening to them and by trying to understand where they're coming from and engage uh, politely with them and stuff like that. Mm. Right. 
Um, are apostles only sent by the risen Jesus? When did Paul see the risen Jesus? Uh, Paul saw the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, my understanding of apostles is that they're, they're the ones who have seen the risen Lord Jesus and sent out for, for a mission. I think uh, the apostolic uh, era ended when those guys died. Um, and I, we read about Paul meeting the risen Lord Jesus in Acts 9. So you can go and read it for yourself. But yes, he met the risen Lord Jesus. Um, now, this was a question from this morning, but I thought it was great. Um, I'm going to read it again now. See if I can make my answer um, better. How do we teach our kids about suffering for Christ? Yeah, that was a really good question. Uh, and the way that I answered it this morning was talking about uh, we take our kids to CMS summer school each year and they hear about missionaries that are out there on the field actually suffering. And uh, about 10 years ago, one of our kids said to us, oh, Dad, can we go to a place where you, you speak the gospel and you could be killed for doing it? And it's like, all right. <laughs> Um, I, think, um, I think the best way to teach your kids, and I've thought about this from this morning, is actually to model it. To model it. Because kids watch us closely. It's interesting, my nephew's just moved back from overseas, and I see so much of my brother in him. He is absolutely modelled. What is how we live our lives? What is that modelling to our children? That we're willing to stand firm, for the gospel, that when we suffer, we're willing to talk to them about it, how we cope with it, and so therefore how they can cope with it. It's a really big issue for our kids in school today. So I think you want to make sure you've got a loving environment at home, that they know it's a place where you can talk openly about what they're going through, but they'll get encouragement and love and strength. Uh, but I also think it's our role as a church to, uh, to be teaching our kids about that. It's great that they're looking at, at 2 Timothy. Uh, in fact, what we've done uh, for this series is whenever you get the Bible study questions for the week, uh, after the Bible passage, there's actually going to be five questions for you to talk with your kids around the table. Um, so one every night of the week, um, I don't have to, or you can do them all at once, however you want to do it, but getting mum and dad and kids talking about what we're all learning together. So teach your kids in that way. We as a church will try and do our job, but provide that safe environment for them to talk about it as well. Mel, another question has just come. We've got time, so I'll ask it as well. Um, If Paul was the last apostle, did Timothy have a lesser authority than him? And what does that mean for his authority in ministry? And I guess, what does that mean for ours? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, I think that the words of Paul are written down. So uh, I think in in one sense, because he didn't see the risen Lord Jesus, uh, there is one sense where he doesn't have that apostolic status of Paul. But we do have his words written down in the letter, so we know we can we can get them. Uh, but the words of Jesus uh, I, I cling to when he was talking to his disciples after he rose again from the dead and uh, they were touching, putting hands in the holes. Thomas uh, did that. And Jesus said, blessed are you because you believe, but blessed are those who do not see yet believe. Uh, while I think there's something special about those who have seen the risen Lord Jesus, those words really ring to me. Blessed are you who do not see yet believe. We're actually in a great position, according to the Lord Jesus, by not seeing and believing. Um, so I sort of cling to that. So, yeah, maybe a, a less authority in that sense, but we've got Paul's words, so we don't need to necessarily worry about that. We use that, we teach that. But blessed are you who believe and have not seen. That's from Jesus.